Awesome. Well, guys, I, I have to humbly confess, I didn't see that one coming. A pink song in church, never in all of my days. But it's so fitting. Can I tell you, you picked a great weekend to come to church. Because not only do you get to hear about two key characters from the show, This Is Us, but you get two pastors for the price of one. You get a twofer. Karen and I, we're going to get to share this marriage together. And, and I want to tell you that the video clip and that song we just heard, such a great lead-in to our talk on Jack and Rebecca. In fact, we have an outline for our message today. It's a bright-colored sheet found in your program. Let me encourage you to take this out and use it to follow along. All the verses from the Bible that we're looking at are printed there for you, and there's a place to take some notes if that is helpful for you. So hey, Crossroads, today we want to take a look at Rebecca and Jack of This Is Us, their lives, their love, their story, and use that as a launching pad to inspire us to work on our marriages and build them stronger. If you're not married today, then you're going to find a lot of things in this talk that are helpful to you still. But people love the show, This Is Us, and they love Jack and Rebecca. Um, they love their committed love story and how they have built a special love and family together. And people also also love the way that Jack adores Rebecca almost as much as I adore my wife Karen and that's the truth friends you know on your outline I want to start with a very romantic quote where Jack says to Rebecca he's talking about growing up I didn't know what I wanted to be he says this until the day I met you that's when I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up I wanted to be the man who made you happy and I want to tell you, that's more than just a romantic quote. Throughout the show, Jack lived that out with grand gestures and special surprises. Now, just a little bit about Jack and Rebecca. Their very first date was at a carnival, and it didn't go very well, mostly because Jack only had nine bucks. But Rebecca had this special feeling about him, and so she gave it a second chance. And pretty soon, they fell in love. They got married in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the late 70s. And then in August of 1980, they began their family, the big three, Kate, Rebecca, oh, Kate, Kevin, and their adopted son, Randall. And here's a picture of the Pearson family. And as the story of Jack and Rebecca unfolds, you get to see them, I mean, masterfully done through flashback and flashing forward, you get to see their story as they build a home, as they deal with the demands of raising three kids, as they help each other pursue their dreams of singing and building a business. One of the things that makes this couple so relatable is they don't have a perfect marriage. In fact, they have a very messy marriage. And they had to work through so many problems. They had to work through losing a child, in-law issues, financial challenges, jealousy, addiction. And they even went through a period where they separated for a while. And then the the heartbreaking moment in the show is about 19 years into their marriage, Rebecca had to walk through the tragedy of Jack's death after he saved his family from a home fire. Now, I share that part of the story because perhaps some of you here today, maybe you're dealing with the loss of a spouse. And I just wanted to, to mention that we have a class for you coming up on Saturday, October 27th. And if you're interested, you can just write uh, on your communication card, loss of a spouse class, and we'll contact you and get you the information you need. 
Now, one of the things that I love about this show and Jack and Rebecca's marriage is that their story echoes exactly what the Bible tells us about marriage. In fact, I printed it there on your outline from 1 Corinthians 7, 28, where it says this, but those who marry will face what? Many troubles. Many troubles in there. Can I get an amen from a married person? Amen. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Now, today we want to share with you not just the story of Jack and Rebecca, but a little bit about our story. So this is us, the McGovern family. And uh, today I want to tell you that Paul and I, we met in college, and we were good friends for five years, involved in a college ministry together. And uh, all of us were good friends, me and Paul and Paul's girlfriend. And uh, (laughs) then, uh, yeah, we bumped into each other later on when he came back, and... uh, we decided to go out to dinner. And so one dinner turned into another dinner and another, and we found ourselves usually talking about what we were looking for in somebody to date or somebody to marry eventually, and pretty soon we realized that we were basically describing each other. So we fell in love, and we got married exactly one year after we started dating on January 5th of 1990. And we went, we finished seminary together, and then we went overseas to Africa and served as missionaries for a couple of years, came back here, and started Crossroads Church. Pretty soon we had two kids, two amazing but not easy kids, Sierra and Timothy, and uh, we've been happily married for 25 years. Uh, We've been married 28 years. Yes, 25 out of 28, that's pretty good, right? (laughs) So, all right, so like Jack and Rebecca, we have had our fair share of pain and problems. And along the way, we've had to work through financial struggles, anger issues, challenges raising our kids, loss of a parent, et cetera, et cetera. And, and not only in our personal story, but in pastoring this church together for the last 23 years and working with so many couples. You know, when the pains and problems of marriage arise, they can really bring you to this crossroads moment in your marriage where how you handle that struggle will determine the outcome of your whole relationship. You know, in the show, This Is Us, one time, Jack and Rebecca, they were at a crossroads. Uh, Not a church, but in their marriage, they were at a crossroads, and Rebecca said these very powerful words there on your outline. She said, sometimes in marriage, someone has to be the one to push to make the big moves. Well, I share that quote with you because today, Karen and I, we want to give you a loving push to make some big moves in your relationships, in your marriage. We want to encourage you to make four big marriage-building moves, and they're printed there on your outline, and Karen is going to share the first one with us. So four big marriage moves. The first one is pursue oneness. On your outline, pursue oneness. Now, some of you here are a beautiful example of oneness. You're together, you sit cozy in church, you're holding hands sometimes. Some of you even share an email address. That would drive me crazy. But And then <laughs> we actually had a couple here last night. They share a name tag. Now, go figure that one out. So what does it mean to be one as a couple? Now, Paul and I don't always agree on what it means to be one. Uh, 
For example, if he says, oh, my knee's bothering me, I'm like, well, what? When did your knee start bothering you? Oh, a couple months ago. Well, what do you mean? You didn't tell me. You got to tell me these things. Don't you want to know every time I have a hurt? And he kind of thinks for a minute. Well, sure, honey. But it reminds me of a story. When our kids were younger, Paul was at work one day, and I was home with the kids. And I got a phone call from my daughter's doctor. And she said, we need to put your daughter in the hospital. She has such and such disease. We just need to confirm that. I'm thinking, what? And so I asked the doctor, could it be that she just drank so much? Because she drinks so much water that the test results got messed up. No, no, no. Nobody drinks that much water. Okay. Well, that's exactly what it was. And she was fine. But we didn't know that at the time. So I call my husband, my emotional rock, and he's not answering the phone. And I call him again a few minutes later. And again, all morning long, well into the afternoon, I cannot reach Paul. So pretty soon, the phone rings, and it's Paul. And I answer the phone, where have you been? I've been trying to reach you all day long. Why do we even have these stupid phones if you never answer the phone? And by the way, wives, it's always a good idea to use generalizing statements like that when you're in a conflict with your husband. No, it's not. But this is what he said to me. He said, I, honey, I'm, I'm in the emergency room at Kaiser, and I did, couldn't get service for the last few hours. So I dropped the phone, and I run over to Kaiser. And feeling bad about what I said on the phone and worried as heck about him, of course, I go to sign in where you have to sign in to go through security. And as I'm signing, I see the name above me, someone who has just come and gone, and it says Dwayne Petty. He's our executive pastor. And apparently... My, me, I was not the first phone call when my husband's service finally came in. And apparently he has a little more oneness with his work wife than he does with me. But we got past that and uh, we got through that. So he was fine, daughter was fine, everybody's fine. So where does the idea of oneness come from? What does that mean? Let's look on your outline in the book of Genesis. You can see the passage in chapter two, from verse 24, it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You've probably heard this verse at weddings, and uh, not only is this verse here in Genesis, but Jesus repeated it again in the Gospel of Mark, and then the Apostle Paul quoted it yet again in the book to the Ephesians. It's so essential, this passage to marriage. And it was God's intention from the very beginning and throughout all time that a husband and a wife are united as one in marriage to reflect the glory of God and to demonstrate God's love to the world and to the church. Now you become one first by leaving your family of origin and then uniting with your spouse in this new partnership that's now the most important relationship in your life. Oneness in marriage is about connection. It's about unity, intimacy, purpose. It's about two becoming one, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. You go from being a me to a we. And you consider the needs of your partner in every decision that you make. Oneness is about being together, of course, because that's one of the reasons you get married. And you are, we are better together if we do it God's way. Now, on the, another TV show, House Hunters, anybody watch House Hunters? Um, a couple always goes into a new area and tries to buy a home. And every episode pretty much goes like this. The husband says, I want a home in, the, or I want a, a condo in the city. And she says, I 
want a house in the country? <laughs> and then he says, I want a place with modern style. And she says, I want a place with a lot of character. And they look through their homes that they're shopping for, and you hear them make comments like, uh, you know, well, this isn't exactly what I'm looking for, and oh, but, but this would be so far from work for me. And, and you hear them talking so much about what they want. And it always surprises me, because honestly, I always imagine if Paul and I were house hunting, I know that I would hear words come from him like, oh, Karen would really love this fireplace. And, oh, I don't know, she might not like that carpet. He would be thinking about the things that please me and the things that I need, even before himself. And I think that is God's intention and God's plan and what it means by being one. So how do you get there? <laughs> <laughs> How do you get there? Yes, when you're, when you're one, what makes your partner happy makes you happy. So it's not just about saying I do, right? We have to continue to do the things that build love into our marriage and that bring us close together. Spending quality time together, talking about the things that really matter most, praying together about the important things, not just at mealtime, seeking God together, Taking walks, we love to take walks hand in hand in nature together and talk about dreams for the future. It's being a diligent student of your partner. Now some of you might find that you're living independent lives side by side and that you're not united in the way we're talking about. And I want to say you're missing out, but there's hope and there's time. But there's also conflict, right? Sometimes we have conflict in our marriage by not seeing ourselves as one. If he wins the argument or the decision, I lose. But if I, but if I win, then he loses and I get my way. But marriage is not a win-lose relationship. It's, not, it's a win-win or a lose-lose. If you're going to have, uh, so Cecil Osborne, the author, there's an, a quote on your outline there from him. And it says, marriage is the only game in town where both parties either win or lose together. Isn't that true? If you're going to have a successful marriage, you have to fight, not against each other, but for a wonderful marriage. And you can't wait for the other person. You can't sit back and wait for them to take initiative. You have to make the big moves. It's hard enough to have a great marriage when both partners are giving 100%, right? If you expect your partner to do better than you, you don't stand much of a chance. Marriage is not 50-50. Divorce is 50-50. You've got to give your best self and bring all you've got to the marriage table and fight for a great marriage. Yeah, when, when Karen was preparing this and talking about fighting for your marriage, it kind of brought me back to a time when we were having a fight. Um, I just have to humbly confess, earlier, early on in our marriage, uh, I started to realize that I had some anger issues and some defensiveness issues. And a lot of times when Karen would try to bring something up to make our marriage better, I would turn it into a fight. And so one time I was being really defensive in the middle of a fight, and I'll never forget, she just said, stop, I'm not your enemy here. We're on the same team. We're either going to sink or swim together. Like we can either go down with the ship together or we can enjoy a nice cruise together. Which one do you want to do? And it just kind of really hit me. Paul and I went from seeing ourselves as, I'm on this side, you're on that side, to we're on this side as one together. The problem is over there. We together will attack the problem. 
and not attack each other. That was revolutionary for us. The problem is anything that threatens your oneness or anything that hurts either one of you. When I'm hurt, we're hurt. When you're stressed at work, we need to find a way to decompress. When I'm worried, we pray about it and seek God together. Now, what oneness doesn't mean, it doesn't mean your spouse will complete you. I'm sorry, but Jerry Maguire had it wrong when he told Dorothy, I love you, you complete me. We need to understand that God alone completes us and gives us what we need to experience a full life. Your marriage compliments you, your partner compliments you, but God is your sustainer. You need God. You do not need a marriage partner to be complete. You are already complete before marriage, during marriage, and after marriage, or without ever being married, if you are in Christ. And oneness doesn't mean being enmeshed, having no healthy boundaries or limits. An enmeshed couple depends on each other to meet every emotional need. And if your self-concept is wrapped up in your partner, then you may be in trouble. That's not unity the way God intends it. That's codependency. The goal is for two people, each with a strong identity in Christ and with a strong sense of self, to come together and bring out the best in each other. The healthiest marriages I've seen are those in which both parties maintain separate identities and fulfill their unique purposes, as well as uniting together to find their shared purposes and fulfill God's will in and through their partnerships. Now, it was so important for us to have unity at our wedding that we, when we got married, that we read this verse, these words of Jesus from John 17. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Good words. You know, Karen was sharing that we shared that verse in our wedding ceremony. And something else we did in our wedding ceremony is we lit a unity candle. Now, perhaps you've seen this as a wedding in a unity candle. What you have is you have the two outside candles and they represent your lives as a single, the, husband, the, the groom and the bride. And then, then what you do is you bring the candles together and you light the big candle in the middle saying that from this day forward, we are gonna, from this day forward, we're gonna live a life of becoming one. The only problem is during our wedding ceremony, when we went to light our unity candle, the wick broke and we couldn't light it and we were spending like five minutes trying to get this thing to light i mean talk about an awkward moment i looked over and karen's whole family was going i knew it <laughs> you know we couldn't get it to light and so we had to just kind of give up and go back to the ceremony but can i tell you we were so committed to fight for unity in our marriage that after the wedding, man, I grabbed our candles. We took them to the reception. First thing we did at reception is we gathered everyone together. We said, hey, everybody, gather around. We're going to do whatever it takes to have unity in our marriage. And we lit our unity candle at our wedding at our, at our reception ceremony. Now, that's a, a little picture here of oneness. Let me give you another picture there on your outline from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said these words, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. And then it says something very interesting. It says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
Would you underline that phrase, a cord of three strands? Because in marriage, the husband is one strand, the wife is another strand, but the third strand is that, is that that's when you allow God to come into your hearts, to come into your home and envelop you and hold you together with his power and purpose and love and life. God is the one who holds you together and that's a great lead-in to our second big marriage building move. And that's simply to put Christ first. Put Christ first. I think this is the most important move that any person can ever make, whether you're married or single or young, old, rich or poor. In fact, as your pastor, I want to do everything in my power to encourage you. Put Christ first. You know, I recently did this with my son's roommate. This, this past weekend, Karen and I went down to Southern California to uh, visit our kids. And so we took our, our, our son Tim and his roommates out to dinner. And over dinner, we started talking about dating. And one of his roommates said, well, man, I don't know if I'll ever find a, a, or ever get a girlfriend. And I said, well, hey, can I share with you the best dating verse in all the Bible? He said, sure, I didn't know there was a verse. I said, hey, the best dating verse, and I put it on your outline, is Matthew 6, where Jesus said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Put Christ first. You see, guys, as much as I love This Is Us and, and Jack and Rebecca, I think one of the biggest things that's missing from the show and missing from their family is faith. See, they're trying to build their lives and their, their marriage apart from God. And it not only hurt them, it hurt their kids. And you see that lived out throughout the show as they struggle to do life without the Lord. You know, this, this decision to put Christ first is so key that a lot of times when young couples come tell me, hey, Pastor Paul, guess what? We're engaged. I always tell them the same thing. I'm so happy for you. You have just made the second most important decision in all of your life. And it always throws them a little bit like, oh, really? What's the first? He said, the most important decision is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? You see, when you get married, that's going to impact your life for the rest of your life. But your choice of Jesus, that will change your life for all eternity. It's the most important decision to put Christ first. Let me explain it this way. God created us, friends, in his image. And he created you with this longing for two levels of relational intimacy. The first level is we all long for intimacy with another person, be it a close friend or a marriage partner. All of us long for that intimacy of having someone in our lives who really get us who treasure us, who adore us, who, who understands us and makes us feel loved and accepted. That's the first level, intimacy with another person. But friends, know it or not, believe it or not, you are also created for a second level, and that's the level of intimacy with God. You are created in the first place to have a real loving relationship with God. And friends, if that's missing there's always going to be an empty, unfulfilled hole in your heart. And here's the problem. When you leave God out of your life and out of your relationships, so often people will pressure others to try to meet intimacy needs that only God can meet. 
And friends, some of you here today, the truth is you're struggling in your relationships. You're struggling in your marriage and you're feeling lost and lonely. And the main reason is you're missing the most important piece, having Christ alive in your heart. I love how marriage experts, Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott say it on your outline. They say, if you try to build intimacy with another person before becoming whole on your own, all of your relationships will become an attempt to complete yourself. So here's what I'm getting at. Here's what I'm trying to say. Single or married, my encouragement is build intimacy with God first. Put Christ first. And if you're single, I want to tell you, if you'll do that, it will build a foundation of depth and relational strength and wholeness that will bless your life for the rest of your life, whether you ever get married or not. And if you do get married, you're going to carry that blessing in because it will make you a better husband, a better wife. And I want to say this, if you are married, could it be that the missing piece in your marriage, man, we keep having these fights, we keep having these struggles, we really love each other, but we keep like, could it be that the missing piece is you don't have Christ at the center? Because I want to tell you, friends, man, it will bless you and your spouse in ways you could never imagine. Now, once you've put Christ first in your life, out of reverence for Christ, we pursue oneness by practicing love and respect. On your outline, number three, practice love and respect. Now, in the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul spends a couple of chapters teaching us how we can preserve unity, how we can relate to each other in love, how we should treat all people with love and respect. Uh, it talks about how we treat them verbally, not using obscene language or dirty jokes, how we should treat them sexually, not as objects, how we serve one another, we're kind and compassionate and forgiving to one another, how we should submit to one another. And then we pick it up at verse uh, 21 in Ephesians 5. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. <clears throat> to submit means to yield, not getting your own way all the time, to defer, to serve, prioritize. If somebody asks you to go one mile with them, you go two miles, said Christ. This is the base requirement, the baseline requirement for all Christians in treating other people. And then in verse 25, there's an emphasis directed toward husbands. And it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Now, for women, loving others by nurturing them, caring for them, sacrificing ourselves to put their needs first, that comes sometimes a little more naturally for us, right? And this passage stresses that husbands especially may need to make a special effort to love their wives this way. It wasn't automatic for Paul to think of my needs and put me first in our relationship. That had to come over time and practice um, learning to sit by my bedside when I was sick and to listen to me, to hurt with me or celebrate with me, to think of what I'd like to do when we had some downtime coming. That's what uh, oneness looks like. That's what love looks like. God knew that a wife's greatest need was to be loved by her husband this way. In the show This Is Us, Rebecca had an old boyfriend who was trying to undermine her marriage. And he said to her, he was trying to convince her to go on the road with him in a band. And he said to her, um, if your husband really loved you, he'd let you go. And she responded pretty well, I think. She said, 
please do not tell me what my husband would do if he loved me. My husband is a freaking superhero, and you have no idea what you're talking about. And I like that because when I hear that, I really think, you know, this is my superhero right here. Because Paul has this superpower of being able to show up at the right time, knowing what I need, in a way that's just supernatural. So there have been times where I'd be in a parking lot going shopping, and he shows up with my wallet that I didn't even know I was missing. See, I, I figured you'd need this if you're shopping. <laughs> there are times where he's shown up with my keys here at the church when I'm about to get in a van with 13 students who are counting on me, and I didn't realize I didn't bring the keys. So just being in tune with your partner like that is a beautiful way to show love to them. So we continue in the passage, and the wife must respect her husband. It's often the greatest need of a man, on the other hand, to feel capable, to feel honored and valued by his partner. To see in the eyes of his spouse how wonderful he is and what a great man that, he, that she thinks he is. I hope and think that when Paul looks in the mirror of these eyes that he sees what a great man he is. Mm. Yeah? Yes. Okay, Thank good. you. Yes. Good. <laughs> I'm a freaking superhero. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A husband and a wife both need love and respect, right? You're going to hear a verse in a minute that flips this. We both need that, and all people need love and respect, care, and to be honored, which is why throughout the Bible it says we are to love and respect all people. Here in this passage it stresses that each partner should pay extra attention to the areas where they may be weaker and where their partner's needs are greatest. Now, I think Jesus is a great example of this. And I love how God not only gives us instructions for how to live out life, but he gives us a real-life example in Jesus Christ. And in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, it's not on your outline, um, it, there's a great uh, picture of what Jesus is like. And I wanted this picture so embedded on my heart that years ago I memorized it. And it says this. It says... Let Christ Jesus be your example as to what your attitude should be. For he, who did not, for he who had always been God by nature did not cling to his rights as God's equal, but stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born as mortal man. And having become a man, he lived a life of complete humility, even to the extent of dying. And the death that he died was the death of a common criminal." And that is why God has now lifted him so high so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I think if Jesus submitted to God that way and submitted to other people, we certainly should as well. When two people have Jesus at the core of their being and they love him first and foremost as individuals and then they come together as partners in mutual submission to one another, a beautiful relationship can result. It's worked pretty well for us for about 28 years. All right, thank you. I just wanted to add one thing about this practicing love and respect. I wanted to speak to all the men here, all the husbands, because I have this conviction. I really believe that, that women are just better at relationships than we are. I think, guys, sometimes we have this tendency to get complacent, to get a little lazy in the love and respect department and begin to take our wives for granted. So I wanted this next verse on your outline, 1 Peter 3, 7, to kind of be like a divine wake-up call where it says this, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, 
Treat your wife with understanding she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Man, I just wanted to tell you, if you're treating your wife right, it's so important to God that he says this, if your relationship with your wife is not good, then we're not good. And I hope that you'll really take that to heart because that leads us right into our last big marriage building move. And that's number four in your outline. To prioritize commitment. Commitment. In the show, This Is Us, we find out that's exactly what, how Jack felt about his marriage. He said it so powerfully on your outline when Jack said these words. You find your soulmate, you get married, and you stay together until you die, period. You know, when he said these words, he's echoing the exact words of Jesus. When Jesus taught on marriage, he said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It also echoes the words of Hebrews 13, 4 in your outline that says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. To remain faithful to your vows. Married couples, listen to me. When you got married, you stood before God. You made some promises to God and each other to love, honor, and cherish. In what? In good times and in bad. For richer and for poor. In sick, you made some vows. And your commitment, what I'm saying is that great marriage partners, they make their commitment part of their identity. It becomes part of who they are. And they say, by God's grace and with God's help, I'm going to do everything I can to keep my commitment. You know, in preparing for this message, I came across this great quote, and I love it because it really describes our marriage. It says this, a perfect marriage is just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Friends, that's our story. You know, I was talking to my brother recently, and we're talking about marriage. He said, well, you know, you're lucky because you found your soulmate. And I just said, hey, let me stop you right there, and let me tell you, I didn't find my soulmate. We became soulmates by doing the hard work of everything we talked about, pursuing oneness, uh, putting Christ first, practicing love and respect, and, listen, friends, and fighting to keep our commitment. And I say fighting because when you put two type A personalities together, guess what happens? A lot of this. Can I tell you in 28 years of marriage, do you know what we fought about? Everything. <laughs> Everything. I mean, you, you'd be shocked about some of the fights we, we fought over. Money, kids, chores, food, driving speeds. We fought over using the turn signal. We fought over, hey, where'd you put my keys? Why'd you move my stuff? We even fought about, I'm mad at, at, at the way you looked at me. <laughs> at the way I looked at you? <laughs> Friends, okay, on a side note, that's why uh, this Saturday I'm teaching the Resolving Conflict class. This Saturday, 9 o'clock right here, I want to say for all of you, if you have not taken this class in the last year, all of you, you need this in your relationships. Godly ways of honoring your relationship even when things aren't going well. And I hope you'll write on your communication right now. Sign me up for a conflict resolution class. This Saturday right here at 9 o'clock, I'll be teaching it. And 28 years of marriage, friends, I'm an expert on conflict. 
Now, check out this next quote on your outline that says this about commitment. Commitment is the bedrock of lasting love, giving security and allowing us to relax. Like, take a breath. See, can I tell you with great confidence, I never worry about my wife leaving me. She's put in too much work. I mean, training me, right? I mean, all, all kidding aside, she made a commitment. We made a commitment. And come what may, we will face it together. That's why I always encourage newlywed couples. I say, in the life of your marriage, never use the D word. Never threaten divorce in the midst of a fight. Because you just undermine the security of staying together. You want to communicate, hey, even if we're fighting, no matter what, I'm not leaving. You know, guys, I, I, I really get it. You know, I live in the real world where real people get divorced. Karen and I both grew up in broken homes. Many of you who are here today who are my dear friends, you've gone through a painful divorce. I wanted you to see that clip because I believe that God brought us here and he wants to speak to us and he's, he wants to say, even if you're tired, it's time to roll up your sleeves because you're not done and God's not done. There's a great passage that kind of captures the heart of this whole message. I want to end with this passage and then we'll pray. From Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, it says, God. And friends, we need God in our lives, in our marriages. It says, God, he loves you. And he loves you right where you're at. He knows you. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows your marriage. He loves you. And it says this, so you should always clothe yourselves with mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. Someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. And even more than all this, clothe yourself in love. Love is what holds you all together in perfect unity. And I want to pray right now that God would just hold us together. So let's pray. Father, first of all, for every person here, the truth is we all need your help. We all need your love. But I want to pray specifically today for our marriages. I pray that you would bring an infusion of strength and hope and love and life and a determination to roll up our sleeves to pursue oneness, to put you first, to practice love and respect, and to prioritize our commitment, trusting that you will hold us together in perfect unity for Christ's sake. Amen.